Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I want to tell you about the Ringer's gambling podcast. It is called Against All Odds with Cousin Sal, and you're not going to believe this, but it is hosted by Cousin Sal, the biggest degenerate gambler that I know. He's such a degenerate. He has three other degenerates that he calls the degenerate trifecta, and they break down every conceivable gambling thing you would ever want to gamble on. They even take you to Captain Morgan's Make Believe Casino, where Sal makes up props on, on all kinds of things, sports, pop culture, you name it. You are going to want to get your gambling advice from these guys. Cousin Sal, he's been a staple on the BS podcast for the last 10 years. So good that we gave him his own podcast. Check it out, Against All Odds with Cousin Sal. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to the Ringer MLB Show. My name is Michael Batman, and I'm a staff writer at TheRinger.com, and I'm joined by my fellow staff writer, Bane Lindbergh. <laughs> Hello, Michael. How are you? Hello. <laughs> I thought we'd do, since it's Halloween, we do like a group group Halloween costume. I get it. I thought maybe you had lost your voice during no, Game 5, no, no. but I know there's no cheering in the press box. Now, I've been working on this bit long enough that I've got uh, costumes for our editors, too. You, would you like to hear about them? Sure, please. We've got costumes for our editors, Mallory Robin and Ross L. Hanlon. Perfect. Huh? Okay. That did, not get a, that did not get a laugh out loud. I was expecting that, but okay. <laughs> I'm not working on very much sleep, so let's, let's get to, no. to what happened in games three, four, and five. Yeah. You are on a solid three and a half hours right now after watching the latest marathon of madness that is World Series Baseball. We're going to talk about the game later in the episode. We're going to bring in our friend and colleague from the ringer and newly minted baseball writer, Shea Serrano, who was watching the game as well and is now fully invested in this World Series. Going to get his thoughts as someone who is new to baseball and thinks that baseball is always like this. But we know that it is not, but we can still appreciate it. So you and I had discussed in maybe the middle innings of this game doing another draft like we did for game two, a draft of our favorite moments. And I think we're not going to do that just because there's not enough time to draft all the moments from this game. And it's hard to remember right. all the moments from this game. This I, feels like a game I have to rewatch in a year and just yeah. remember everything because at five plus hours, I mean, there are just so many twists and turns and little moments and big moments that everything that happened early in the game feels like years ago. Plus, like, I guess on the one hand, it's good that we've been blessed with such great playoff baseball, but like, we don't want to use the same gag three times in six World Series <laughs> games. So, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I can't believe that this game happened. I think after we watched game two, there was a feeling that this would probably be the best game of the series. It was, we mentioned by the total change in win expectancy, which is a, a wonky way to try to quantify what we're feeling when we watch a baseball game. You don't necessarily need a number to represent these things, but if you just take all the win probability changes, so one team does something good, their odds of winning go up. The other team does something good, their odds of winning go up. You just add up all those changes in the win probability and you get one number. And game two was at the time the the 15th best World Series game of all time through, at that point, 655 World Series games. Well, now it is 16th because it has been bumped down the list by Game 5, which was now sixth all time in excitement by that metric and was just longer and more action packed and more comebacks and 
I guess not more home runs, but almost as many home runs. So I don't even know where to start like this. Like I didn't even think about that, that there was a game like in the past week with more home runs than this. Yes, I know. That's hard to believe, right? There was, I mean, there was a point where we were all lamenting what this game did to Clayton Kershaw's reputation and legacy. And maybe we'll still talk about that. But at a certain point, it, it felt like an afterthought. It was just like, hey, Kershaw is not the story here. We, we thought he was the story coming into the game. But ultimately, the game itself and just the group effort of these players producing this timeless classic, that was the story. And I don't know whether, I mean, I think the balls are juiced. I don't know whether the balls are slick. That is the latest story reported by Tom Verducci and Jeff Passan and others that players have complained about the balls being slick in this series and players being unable to throw breaking balls, sliders specifically with their usual bite because they can't get their grip on the baseball. And Mm -hmm. on the one hand, probably not a great thing for Major League Baseball that their players are openly questioning the most important piece of equipment no, I think this. The, is, the I disagree. I think well, this is that's awesome. What I was, that's what I was thinking. Like for a few innings of this game, like you know, there was a moment where you just weren't sure why anything was happening. Like when Clayton Kershaw gives up a home run to Yuli Gurriel, and, and maybe we'll talk about that too, because that at the moment seemed like that might be the story, and yeah. maybe not not the most positive story about I'm this game. Really Ultimately, happy that we had something else yeah, to, to write about by the end. Five or six home runs ago at this point, yeah. but there was this moment where you wondered okay that was just a flat slider is that a flat slider because hey it's a flat slider and pitchers throw those sometimes or is it because there's something weird with the ball ultimately though who cares (laughs) yeah this game was crazy and fun and i don't think anyone is sitting here saying maybe it was only you know that crazy because the balls are slick and so that somehow ruins it i i don't think it detracts from it in any way yeah, I you calling it flat, I think is very charitable. That's one of the worst sliders I've ever seen. Like just if I didn't have the game day uh, app open telling me what kind of pitch that was, I would have thought it was I don't know, like a two seamer that he had just taken a little bit off of. That was mm-hmm. and uh, when the story broke, you know, I they were there was a, a lot of talk about how the the ball was affecting everybody's sliders. I'm like, well, there are other reasons why Ken Giles is bad right now. And it didn't seem to affect Kershaw in game one when he threw like 18, 20 sliders and nobody could touch him. And well, there goes that excuse. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I do think, I think you're right though, that like, if you're so concerned with the purity of baseball, that you're grousing about the quality of the ball, instead of enjoying the absolute mayhem that the, you know that this controversy has wrought. I don't know if it's it's the cause necessarily, but yeah, it's it's just another you know it's another cherry on top of this Sunday of insanity. I, I wanted to quote the excellent Andy McCullough, former podcast guest, uh, when the the game was heading into extra innings. He he tweeted, "Free baseball. None of us deserve this. None of us want this." And I think that's <laughs> that's about the. It was just. Like it was amazing and it was also exhausting. It was a sensory bombardment. And I 
could not have been happier to have been there and witnessed it in person. And I also could not be happier that it's over because I don't know how much more of that I could have taken. <laughs> yeah. Well, you were in the ballpark, obviously, and you also knew that you had to write something about this game. So for the second time in a week, you've had to try to sum up just the craziness of a classic World Series game on deadline, which is yeah, uh... second time. Second time in a week, I've left the ballpark after 3 a.m. Eastern. Yeah. So that's, that's I mean, a new this, record for me. Game ended at like 2 a.m. Eastern, so you probably wrote pretty quickly. Yeah, this was, I mean, it was crazy. I I guess we can just start talking about Kershaw, maybe just because that came early in the game, relatively early. I mean, Dallas Keuchel didn't have it either. I wrote something before the series started about how I thought the Dodgers were a particularly tough matchup for Keuchel just because he's a guy who this season thrived when he was facing aggressive hitters, guys who would chase his pitches, which tend to be just outside the strike zone, and guys who do not have that tendency hit him pretty well because you just kind of let his balls beneath and outside the strike zone go by. And then eventually he has to come into the strike zone and he doesn't throw that hard and he's vulnerable. And and that's more or less what happened here. Now, he's had the advantage in this series of pitching to two extreme pitchers umpires and that helps and particularly in game five bill miller i think took a lot of justified deserved abuse from both sides throughout the game because his zone was huge and also inconsistent and it's impressive that we managed to have this many fireworks and offensive heroics in a game where the umpire was just artificially expanding the strike zone the way he was that's what I said at the time. Like, it's, you know, everybody's talking about the strike zone. And, like, I hate people complaining about the strike zone. But this is this was one of those rare strike zones that uh, was, was worth complaining about. And they scored 25 runs anyway. And I just cannot fathom what a nor- the kind of offense a normal strike zone would have produced. Yeah. And this game was, was crazy enough that uh, it, like, I filed my story and was was driving home I was like I didn't even mention the strike zone just forgot about it <laughs> yeah. like this just didn't even come up when I was thinking about like the most important things to put into like and it was not a short story it was like 1500 words yeah. just didn't you know didn't even occur to me to talk about the strike zone at the time. Yeah, I mean, it was a delirious MLB Slack channel with the the Ringer staff just watching this. It was one of those games where like people who are not in the Slack channel join the Slack channel, mm-hmm. and people who never participate were participating because it was just a, a game that brought casual fans together and and longtime fans together. So, look, Kershaw was not great, and it's surprising to say this because for the first few innings, it looked like he was. It looked like he was going to continue the story of his 2017 postseason Mm -hmm. to this point, which is that the Dodgers haven't really pushed him in the way that they had in the past. They haven't used him out of the bullpen. They haven't used him on short rest. It seemed to be paying off and he looked good early on and then he lost it. And now, unfortunately, I think it it kind of puts everyone in a a strange position because if you're a baseball writer, you don't want to be openly rooting for a team in most cases, unless you're a, a writer whose brand is kind of built on being a fan of one team. And so I don't think either of us had a rooting interest for either of these teams, but I think a lot of people were pulling for Clayton Kershaw to just put this narrative behind him. And unfortunately, he has probably cemented it here. His game one start yeah. was brilliant, of course, but the game five start just was not. And, you know, when you get 
this deep into the playoffs, every start you make is the biggest start of the year or the biggest start of your career. And in this one, I mean, Kershaw got taken off the hook. He didn't actually take the loss here, but there's not much nice you can say about his outing. And and it's going to be hard to live that down. What you wind up rooting for is is what you want to write about, essentially. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, my if if I have an emotional attachment to Kershaw, it's entirely professional. You know, I don't know him as a person at all. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, I don't care that much about his feelings. Right. I just it's just a very 1999 conversation that is, you know, this is this great pitcher clutch. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm just so sick of it with the with A-Rod when he was playing, for instance, mm-hmm. and Barry Bonds and until Barry Bonds suddenly became very clutch right. in 2002. And until A-Rod and, did yeah, in 2009. Yeah. yeah. Well, A-Rod never got credit. No, for it, that's the, right. Yes. The thing because mm-hmm. he's A-Rod. Yeah. But it's yeah, it was just, you know, I'd rather write about him finally. OK, can we shut up about this forever right. and enjoy the last 10 years of his career without, oh, I'd rather have Madison Bumgarner start game seven of the World Series for me. Like, but here we are. And, you know, I, I guess if that's the sacrifice that we had to lay down and it, like and like you said, he lost it. And what was shocking to me was how quickly he lost it. Yeah. Like it was in the span of maybe five or six pitches. Mm-hmm that uh that it all completely came came tumbling down and yeah it's it was very very shocking because i thought like i actually turned to another writer at some at uh one point during like the second or third inning i was like if this game's just going to end like seven to two then let's just fast forward to the end and go home Mm -hmm. like that's because that i was certain that that that's what was going to happen i could not have been more wrong (laughs) so (laughs) no and i mean to some degree the Dodgers were affected throughout this game by the Friday game two days earlier was still rearing its ugly head here because because you Darvish only got five outs in game three. The Dodgers bullpen was was overworked and there were guys who weren't thought to be available. And you had Brandon Morrow trying to pitch for the third consecutive day for the first Mm -hmm. time in his career. And I believe he is still out there giving up home runs on some plane, (laughs) some plane of existence. I, I think there was an extremely slow hook with him that you can criticize and also sort of understand because the Dodgers were just shorthanded and they needed Kershaw to give them some length and he did not. And so they had to dip into that bullpen and they had to use guys who were not fresh because we had back to back to back playoff games. So I think this normally is not a thing that we see in the postseason because there are a lot of off days. And so you can recover from one lousy start and get guys rested. And because we had these consecutive games here without a break between them, that continued to be a factor in this game. And and so that was part of it. Part of it was just a lot of lousy pitches. I don't know if that was slick baseballs or just good hitting or just mistakes that would have been made regardless. But I mean, you just have... I don't know whether this has been a a well-played series. I I would say it has. Certainly defensively, it has, I think, for the most part. And maybe pitchers have made mistakes and have missed locations and all of that. But I think for the most part, it's been a a pretty crisply played Mm -hmm. World Series between two of the best teams in baseball with several of the most compelling players in baseball today, particularly young players. And I mean, this was just a ton of fun start to finish that never felt like any team was out of it because neither team ever was. 
Yeah, I'd be inclined to say, and like, you know, and there have been mistakes. Like, you know, we talked about the Kershaw slider, and I think Brad Peacock got away with a lot of stuff in game three. I think McCullers got got away with some some pitches in game three. But this these are two offenses where when they're the offenses are so good that I'm inclined to say when the game is high scoring, that's because the hitters are beating the pitchers, not the pitchers that are beating themselves. I want to go back mm-hmm. to the bullpen thing. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, overextending Brandon Morrow and the quick hook. Do you have the box score open? I don't. Don't open it. If, <laughs> okay. If you do. okay. All right. Okay. How many pitches do you think Brandon Morrow threw in Game Five? Actually, I know that it was not many. Right? It was like I'm going to say like ten pitches or something like that. It was six. Six. He well, gave up four earned runs. Oh my goodness. Yeah. On six pitches. That was excruciating to watch. It was so, very like, I don't know part. how much quicker. I don't know how much quicker a hook you want. That's true. Like, it, it does take some time to, yeah, it felt like to it actually forever, warm up. A, but uh, yeah, it did take. You know, it, it, well, on on some level, like time dilation yes. was in was in play. Uh, Minute made on Sunday. Uh, the other thing is, what do you think of? And you know, Game Five is the story, and and so on and so forth. And you know, it it only. Uh, you know, looking back, we should only look back so much. But what do you think about Dave Roberts' decision to to sort of chase Game Three uh, down relatively big early? I thought it made sense at the time. I thought he did what he had to do. I mean, the biggest deficit was what four runs, and then yeah. that was narrowed to three, and it really didn't get bigger than that. I guess up until the last couple innings. So I thought he was. It was kind of the worst case scenario for the Dodgers Mm -hmm. because they weren't behind by enough that you could just sort of say, all right, well, let's throw in Stripling or McCarthy and just let them soak up innings here and we'll be fresh for tomorrow. I I thought it made sense. I mean, there were times when the Dodgers were like two runs down and threatening to come back. So I thought he he did have to use his good arms there and it just put them in a, a tough position because ultimately they didn't end up winning and that work went to waste. So I didn't criticize him for that. But yeah, uh, I, I wasn't, I was against it while it was happening. And then the more I thought about it, the more it made sense. Uh Like when Maeda was, was entering his second or third inning of work, I was like, they might need him tomorrow. But at the same time, like they're not down by that much and they had their shots. So, you know, I think this is another uh, thing like pulling Rich Hill early that like, you know, it's absolutely defensible, even if it didn't didn't actually work Mm -hmm. and the other thing is like it's easy for us to say pun a world series game but you know that's you only get so many and yeah yeah, if you're even within and we saw this you know jeff passan uh had the fateful tweet about how um how aj Hinch should go to his his uh, mop-up guys which i don't know you know first of all i don't know what the distinction is right now in the astros (laughs) bullpen between a mop-up guy and a high leverage guy but uh to try to just you know, ride out the storm and, and come back fully, fully rested for game six and seven, you know, and they erase a, a four run deficit and a three run deficit yeah. and a one run deficit. Yep. So, yeah, I, I guess, you know, in this in the day and age of the the slick, uh, the slick baseball, which <laughs> I don't know if that sounds more or less porny than juiced ball. But uh, anyway, uh, in this day and age, I guess you're never out of a World Series game. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to pair any adjective with ball and not have it sound like some sort of innuendo. But I think, yeah, I mean, so much for bullpenning, I guess. I mean, not that this postseason or this series cast doubt on that whole strategy. I think we've 
discussed at length why it works, why it makes sense, at least for certain teams at certain times. But I mean, we're just in this position now where especially the Astros, but even the Dodgers in recent games just cannot trust their relievers. And you have to feel for the managers to a certain extent because they are giving the ball to guys who have been good for them all season. And we always say, don't make too much of the small samples and don't have recency bias and look at the long term and you do that with someone like Ken Giles and look where it's gotten you. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, the manager's role and the pitching coach's role. I mean, one reason why you have those guys instead of just kind of pushing buttons and putting players in according to what the projections say is that they have a sense of their personalities and their psyches and their mental states and their stuff. And in theory, should be able to look and see, well, is this guy the guy that the last six months of stats say, or is he the guy that the last three games of poor performance says? And that's easier said than done, even for baseball lifers and people who have been watching pitchers pitch for decades. And I don't know that you can do it, but I think it seems clear that Ken Giles is not going to be pitching a a high leverage inning again for the final two games of this series or however long it goes. But it's it's not as if Hinch can say, well, we'll we'll go to this other guy. I mean, he's tried to use starters in relief instead. And for the most part, that's worked. It didn't work so well, I guess, last night with McHugh, who could not repeat his scoreless outing from earlier in the postseason. But just wherever he turns at this point is someone who's going to give up runs. And obviously, these are two great offenses at work here. So that is part of it. But it's almost hard to criticize the specific moves that managers are making here because so many of them are backfiring even when they're the correct decision. That's what I was going to say. And like for all the talk about the the bullpen revolution, like maybe the it's not like it's not the the be all end all that we thought it was because maybe there's only one team that has uh, Andrew Miller and Cody Allen and you know for it worked in 2014 and 2015 yeah maybe because the Giants and Royals and Mets kind of had shitty offenses and you know part of what's uh, you know what the Astros are doing to the Dodgers and what the Yankees did to the Astros is that those are really two really really good offenses which we didn't see in 2014 and 15 mm-hmm. so it you know it's it might just be more, you know, this is going to sound like a cop, but it's but it's more complicated than I guess. You know, we're so for at least 15 years, we've been looking for what Nate Silver uh, called the secret yeah. sauce in the playoffs. And, you know, maybe it's just all about matchups and you know that it's a deeply unsatisfying answer. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, it just feels pretty compelling to me right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. And I don't know whom Hinch trusts, if anyone right now, it seemed like Davinsky had regained some of the trust that he had lost. And then he blows a save. He gives up three runs and gets four outs. And so heading into game six, I don't know that either of these teams is confident. I mean, the off day, at least more players are available. And of course, the the Astros are hoping that they just won't have to use the bullpen much, that Justin Verlander will just take this thing home for them. But nothing has worked out quite the way that we expected it to in this series. So you can't necessarily count on that happening either. Anyway, I mean, this was just an extreme amount of fun. I mean, we were just laughing and giggling and shaking our heads in disbelief throughout the last, I don't know how many innings of this game. I think maybe that's the thing that separates this from game two is that game two, almost all the action was compressed and concentrated. It was like, yeah, it was like, it was yeah. very, 
very rapid right. fire over about four innings, just a bunch of solo right. homers. And here, like you could see it building. There were several multi-run home runs and it lasted like from the fifth inning to to the end of the 10th was like three and yeah. a half hours. <laughs> like it took for yes. <laughs> and I I think I quit my job three times over the, the second half of yeah. this game. It was just like what it was just unrelenting and it it unlike in game two where like i said it was just like pop 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 over and over and over again there wasn't really a chance for you to catch your breath but here like you you had time to sort of stagger around punch drunk in the in the press box or in your living room or at the bar you were watching the game at to to uh you know really kind of grapple with what was going on it was just (laughs) It was a lot. It yeah, was a lot. I mean, game two was almost normal until the eighth inning or so. And then things started happening. And, and this was kind of crazy from, oh, I don't know, the fourth or, or fifth inning on. So, I, I mean, it almost feels like there has to be a game seven in the series just to kind of put a bow on it. Because this already feels like a, a classic series, which... Did not have to be the mm-hmm. case. I mean, obviously, you look at these two teams, and they're both great teams, and this is a super exciting matchup, but it could have just been a, a sweep. One of these teams could have just rolled right over the other one, and it, it wouldn't have been all that surprising or strange, but that has not been the case. This is delivered in every way possible. We've gotten great starting pitching performances, terrible starting pitching performances, just an incredible number of, of comebacks. I mean... I, I don't know. This has been exactly what we would have wanted from the series. So I don't know what implications there are heading into game six and a possible game seven other than you've got Verlander. That's who you want if if you're the Astros. And of course, he's going up against Rich Hill, who is no slouch either. And hopefully this just lives up to the hype of the rest of the series, which was our concern post game two was can anything equal that? And yeah, not only can something equal that, but something can surpass it. If this game or if this series does go seven, I really think game six needs to be a blowout, which I realize hoping for or not hoping for, but like expecting the Astros to get blown out with with Verlander on the mound is kind of a, a fool's errand. But you think about these classic series where uh Every single game is close late. And, you know, we've had the two extra inning games and we've had one game that was tied at one going into the ninth. And even the two games, games one and three, where one team got out in front early and kind of stayed there the entire way. It was still a two run game in the ninth inning like this. It's just been so tense and every it seems like when when you get a World Series like this where every game is so tense and it goes seven games, there's one where it just like the tension just collapses. Like uh, I think it was game five of the uh, 1991 World Series or game six of, of the 2001 World Series where just there's just so much there's just only so much you can take and one team, you know, gets out like. 11 to 1 and you just sort of you know take a day to catch your breath you know I think if uh it wouldn't surprise me if, if something like that happened if the Dodgers jumped all over Verlander in uh and uh just sort of you know kept the kept everybody's blood pressure mm-hmm. low for for another yeah, game or so this moment I mean this game maybe it's inevitable that any game like this would have moments like this along the way but we talked about just some of the craziness from game two the the random moments the moments when it seemed like we were through the looking glass whether it was you know Lesti as being hit by a, a pickoff throw that kind of thing or a, a ball hitting the brim of a cap which George Springer could have used last night I forgot about that yeah, he completely forgot about 
should have had a bigger hat, George. We have learned that lesson in this series already. So, I mean, this game had moments like that, whether it was Springer misplaying that ball into a, a triple run scoring triple or <laughs> maybe I, I guess, you know, the Korea home run, which did not look like any home run that I think any of us has ever seen. Statcast. I thought it got stuck in the rafters. Yeah. That ball took so long to come down. I had no idea where yeah. it was. It was just like it went up and was just gone. Yeah. For like three minutes, it was just up in the ceiling and <laughs> it just came down in like the second row of the of the Crawford boxes. Yeah. It's the weirdest home run I've ever seen. It was really strange, like a seven second hang time, like a 48 degree launch angle. I think the, the StatCast stat said that there had been... Highest launch angle for any home right, run this yeah, season. Yeah, there had been no ball hit like this that actually went out and maybe it wouldn't have gone out anywhere other than Minute Maid Park, which is not a, a hitter's park. It's actually a pitcher's park, but it does have this one weird feature where you can hit these home runs that would not be home runs in most ballparks. And then, of had, course, you had a fan just seizing, ripping the ball off of, as it turns out, his sister-in-law's hands sister-in-law, to yeah. throw a home run ball back onto the field. That was that was crazy, too. And then, I don't like throwing the opposing home run ball back, particularly in the World Series. Like, that's a Cubs thing. Let that be a Cubs thing. And, you know, stop trying to be cool. Just just keep the ball. Give it to a kid if you're not going to keep it. There's In that clip, you could see over in, I think, the bottom right-hand corner of the screen, there's this like, I don't know, like 10, 11 year old kid who just looks absolutely crestfallen that this dude threw the ball back. <laughs> yeah. Like, give give the ball to the kid. Yeah. I don't want to see anyone deprived of a actual game ball against their will, I guess. On the other hand, I do sort of like the spitefulness of it. Like, Well, she was going to throw it back. She anyway. was right. So the guy just ripping it out of her hands because the, she didn't throw it back fast enough was kind of an obnoxious thing to do seemingly but i do i like the scorn of it like hey this is a cool souvenir this is an actual piece of memorabilia that was used in the game but my distaste that you actually hit a home run overcomes my desire to keep a collectible here so throw throwing the pearl into the ocean right i appreciate that sentiment and then of course there was the what looked like it would be a pivotal play for a while there as so many plays that didn't end up being that pivotal did but the decision not to score or not to send chris taylor who as we found out because fox had their their people mic'd up and they've done a pretty good job with that this postseason chris woodward dodgers third base coach was shouting go 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 when chris taylor was on third and there was a potential sacrifice fly situation Mm -hmm. and loud in the park and Chris Taylor thought he was saying no 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 which as we were reminded on Twitter there's some precedent for this this happened during the classic game in the 1975 World Series the Carlton Fisk game the same thing happened I think actually in reverse where uh, someone was told no 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 and and he actually thought it was go 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 so I think we we can all agree that probably third base coaches need a new word for this that does not rhyme. I thought of the NATO alphabet, like <laughs> yeah. just something that doesn't sound like right. anything. Yeah, I think we at this point, I think uh, I'm surprised the Astros with their directors of decision sciences and their huge analytics department have not come up with a word for go that does not rhyme with no. I, I think we need that at this point. So, I mean, well, that, yeah. I, you say the Astros, I think the breakout story this uh, series has been Astro or these playoffs really has been Astro's third base coach Gary Pettis yeah, no, who absolutely. Uh, does not know the word no <laughs> he only knows send send yeah, send and it has not come back to, to bite them at all and 
the Dodgers, Chris Woodward seemed sort of like the bizarro Pettis in that inning. I guess it wasn't completely his fault since he was trying to send the run- runner. It, it looked like, you know, there should have been an advancement even before that in earlier in that sequence. But that was, I mean, that just added to the craziness. And I mean, you know, ultimately these moments do matter. I mean, we were all, I think, concerned that Yuli Gurriel would be the hero of this game, which would have been a, a storyline that probably no one wanted. Even Astros fans probably would have preferred for some other Astro to be the hero if an Astro was going to be the hero just because of the decision not to suspend him until next season, which has been chewed over. We've both written about it or touched on it in print at some point, and we don't really need to rehash that. I think we both felt that would have been better if he had been suspended immediately, or, or at least if the sentence had come down, he wouldn't necessarily have served it immediately anyway. But I think that you know that wouldn't have been the best storyline. Like that swing you no, you mentioned I, on I, Twitter. You talk about yeah. thing, things you want to, yeah, things you want to root for, or you root for because you want to write mm-hmm. about, like. You know, whatever happens, uh, you know, a quiet 0 for 4 from Yuli Gurriel would be very pleasant to write about from The the previous game, he actually had the lowest win probability added of any Astro other than Ken Giles. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't think that uh, anyone necessarily wanted him to have the (laughs) the go ahead or the tying blow in the series. I mean, on the one hand, it, it made the game even, it made the game more competitive, but just that confluence of factors. Clayton Kershaw giving up another big playoff home run to Yuli Gurriel, a player a lot of people felt should have been suspended on a slider, no less, just to bring in the slider and the slick balls yeah, narrative. I, I mean, that that swing had everything. And as it turned out, maybe it was not the most memorable play from that game, although still an important one, of course. Yeah, I, I, I think I said at the time, like no combination of pitcher, batter and outcome could have generated more takes than than Gurriel's home run. Right. I guess the only way like the only way it could have been more take worthy is if it had not come before the avalanche of weirdness that followed over the <laughs> no. the next seven yeah, innings. It was just buried. It was just drowned out by everything that happened after that. So. Again, we're in a position of saying, I don't know how anything can top that or equal that, but at least we're... Yeah, we should know better by now. We probably should. And I mean, we're late enough in the series now that everything is exciting anyway, even if the games are not quite as exciting as game two and game five, they're still just inherently fascinating because each team will have a chance to win this thing. I mean, the Astros have a chance to put it away in game six. And of course, if it games to, if it gets to game seven, that is always exciting and, and climactic. So I, you know, you have to give the edge to the Astros here, obviously, since they only have to win one of these two games and they have Justin Verlander going in game six, which is exactly who you'd want. But it would not be at all surprising if the Dodgers win back-to-back baseball games here. That is something the Dodgers did a lot of this season. So it's mm-hmm. uh, it's a classic series, I think, already. It's not too soon to anoint it as one. And we can all look back and we'll be doing another podcast this week whenever the series is over. Maybe we'll be back on Wednesday. Maybe we'll be back on Thursday to just dissect the whole thing and reflect on it in retrospect and talk about what happens in game six and seven if necessary. But we're lucky here. I mean, for the second straight postseason, MLB has gotten about the best advertisement for baseball that you could possibly hope for when the the sport is on this stage and this platform. So I'm I'm just happy that it's delivered. 
Yeah, this is exactly the, you know, when when the playoffs were rolling around and when there was no pennant race, you know, we talked about how, well, the flip side of that is we're getting, we're going to get 10 really good teams in the postseason. And this playoff run has been about as fun as as anything I can remember. Like, it's absolutely lived up to the hype in terms of not only drama, but like quality of play, star making performances. Uh, speaking of which, I know we're, we're sort of wrapping up, but I don't want this to get lost, was how good Alex Bremer oh, yeah. was in this game. And this uh, series. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know if he's, you know, the front row, you know, World Series MVP doesn't matter even a little, but, you know, I think he's probably behind. I think Springer and Correa are having a little bit better series statistically. Maybe if this goes seven and uh, and Lance McCullers pitches well in game seven, then then maybe he's in the running for that. But Bregman had I mean, not only did he have the walk off hit and he turned on you know, sort of an outside cutter. He didn't hit it that hard, but he got enough mm-hmm. of it. And it was just a really nice piece of ambush hitting. But he also drew, I think, probably the best at bat of the night or sorry, best plate appearance of the night since it wasn't technically at a bat was the walk that chased Kershaw in the fifth. That just 10 pitch struggle was just incredible to watch. And, you know, one of just not flashy in a game with 63 home runs and 51 lead changes and, you know, but uh, and so many controversial plays of the, you know, plays on the bases and so on but yeah just an incredible piece of hitting to to draw that walk off kershaw and you know set up the game-changing altuve Mm -hmm. home run so yeah and bregman of course former ringer mlb show guest so that's true about alex bregman but he entered this series probably not quite with the profile that you know correa and altuve and seager and turner and all those guys had and justifiably so but I mean, in terms of promise and in terms of which players this Astros team is built around, he is up there with Correa and Altuve, certainly, and has a a bright future ahead of him. So this has been sort of a a star-making series for him, whether it's offensively with big hits like that one or, you know, like the the walk-off or just with the Mm -hmm. defensive plays he's made just cutting down two runners at the plate with really nice throws. It's been kind of a, a clinic for him all series. So speaking of Turner real quick, uh, what do you think his OPS is in the world series right now? Huh? Uh, I really couldn't tell you. I know our, our next guest in a few minutes, Shea Serrano is extremely intimidated by, by Turner, mm-hmm. who he calls like the, the big redheaded man or something. But Turner is, I mean, he's coming off, NLCS co-MVP, of course. So he set a high bar for himself, but he, I mean, I would guess nothing remarkable, like something hasn't been bad, but something in like the 600 range. Yeah. yeah. 661. Okay. That's, yeah. that's about half what I thought his OPS <laughs> was in this world series. It like, I'm with Shay. Like, I don't know how, uh, like I don't know why, but it feels like he's just always been on base, or he's always been hitting doubles this series. And I guess it's just you know, just the I guess the game one home run uh, kind of stands out. And you know, maybe I'm conflating his performance of the earlier rounds, but he is terrifying yeah. right now. This entire team, yeah. I mean, they scored 12 <laughs> right. runs and lost, so I guess you know that's it's sort of self-explanatory. But yeah. Wow. If you're a player who does not have a home run in this series, you have to feel bad about yourself, I think, because it's just everyone has one. Everyone gets a homer. So, all right. This has been a, a ton of fun. And I mean, we're giving short shrift to, to some players here by necessity just because there have been so many stars. And obviously, 
Cody Bellinger has completely turned the story of his series around, going from can't hit anything to hits everything and has had some of the biggest hits in the series. And so I want to at least acknowledge him here. But yeah, I mean, it's been a ton of fun. We haven't covered everything. There's no way to cover everything. But we will be back in just a few minutes. We'll take a break here from a sponsor, and then we'll be back with our pal Shea Serrano to talk some more about this game. Hey, it's Bill Simmons. Wanted to tell you about House of Carbs, hosted by one of my best friends, Joe House. I've known him since 1988, and the entire time I've known him, he's been very, very hungry. And now he has a chance to host a podcast about being hungry, all the things that make him hungry, the food that he loves. It is a podcast by the hungry, for the hungry. And it's not your typical foofy food podcast where they're talking about foie gras and all that stuff. No, no. We're talking about diners. We're talking about fried chicken sandwiches, pizza slices, best Chinese food. Everything you, everything you talk about with food is on this podcast and with great guests like David Chang, uh, Chris Bianco, Jimmy Kimmel, a bunch of people coming up. All of them love food. Nobody loves food quite as much as Joe House. But listen, check this out. Subscribe right now to House of Carbs wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so we are joined now by a man whose phone autocorrects home runs to homerooms. He is a self-described <laughs> lifelong Astros fan since last Wednesday and the Ringer's newest baseball writer, our colleague, Shea Serrano. Hey, Shay, how are you? What up, boys? I hate to tell you this. I kind of don't want to tell you this, but baseball is not always like this. Don't tell him that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to discourage you from sticking with baseball through the whole 162 game season, but you're getting uh, maybe not the most representative sample here in the three games of your watching baseball. So tell us how you came to actually turn on the TV change it to Fox, watch baseball games, and just how invested you got in a very short span of time. <laughs> I was I was watching a comedy special on Netflix during game two. Yeah. This this is what happened. I turned the game on. Uh, I was working on a thing. The game was, it was like one-to-one or something. And I thought, oh, this is a, this seems like a good score for a game. <laughs> and then I, I stopped paying attention. When I looked up, it was three-to-one. The Dodgers were winning. And then I was like, oh, well, they're winning by a million points now, so I don't want to watch this anymore. <laughs> and I, I started watching the the, uh, the comedy special Patton Oswalt, uh-huh. his new one. And I was watching that, and I was enjoying myself and having a good time. And then my phone started buzzing uh, a bunch, and I looked, and the Astros had just tied up. I think they hit, like, two home runs in a row or something goofy like that. And... Uh, so I said, okay, let me watch now. Because the Astros had never won a World Series game. It was like one of the baseball facts I, I kind of halfway knew. Uh-huh. I was he, I was here in Houston when they played the White Sox. And I didn't really pay attention then, but I knew they got swept. So I said, well, let me watch and see because this might be cool to, to watch. And then everything just went fucking bonkers <laughs> through like the next couple of innings. And then I was like, well, this was more fun than I was anticipating. So I was ready for game three. I started watching game three. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched more of it. And then a little bit more of game four and then all of game five. And now I'm a lifelong Astros fan. (laughs) 
Since Wednesday. Well, welcome to the Baseball Writers Association of America. We're uh, we're you. a little worried now about how regularly you're going to be writing about baseball and when your best-selling baseball book will be coming out. The, Charlie, uh, the, the illustrated Charlie Morton uh, biography, I think is. Yeah. Is that is that Morton's first? Yeah, name? First name. That's okay. Charlie. Charlie. Yeah. yeah. I'm a more I'm a Morton guy. I'm a big more I'm a Morton head. That's what we call it when you're a big Morton Morton head. So there's this debate in baseball right now about whether there are too many home runs in the game. And we had a, a record number of home runs this year and there's been all this discussion. Are the balls different? Are they bouncier now? And even in the World Series, the players are saying they feel slicker and they can't throw sliders. And baseball has said this is okay because casual fans like home runs and this is a good way to make more baseball fans. And you as a baseball fan, lifelong fan for the last week, would you say that you like this brand of baseball? Lots of home runs, lots of strikeouts. Granted, you may not know what any different brand of baseball looks like, but do you like this kind of crazy, just every fly ball is a home run type of baseball? I guess so. I don't, know. I don't, have, a, I don't have a point of reference. I know my favorite parts of the game, it's not it's not the home runs. Uh-huh. I like the the other stuff that's happening. The home runs are cool. Sure, sure, sure. Uh-huh. Four to four points on the board, but that's not my favorite part. Like I'm a traditionalist, Ben. Yeah. Like, I like the little stuff in baseball. Yeah. I've been watching fucking Carl Ustrimsky videos <laughs> since last night and reading about the infield fly rule. So, you know, I know a little bit now. <laughs> You're not happy about these displays of emotion <clears throat> that players are making no, these I, days. I, I, hate, I hate it. No, no, it's super. It, it is a lot of fun. I, I, you know, I, I think they should make it more. What they should, here's what they should do. They should give Glover, they should give pitchers a glove <laughs> that they pitch with. Yeah. Like a special flame retardant glove. And before they throw every ball, they set it on fire and then throw it <laughs> yeah. like NBA jam yeah. style almost. That would be great. Right. Yeah. I like that idea. <laughs> so, you know, you've written a book about basketball. You write a lot about basketball. Is there a subtle difference between baseball and basketball uh, in terms of whether it's I mean, I, like it's sports on one level, but like, is there a, mm-hmm. a difference in like the pace of the game, the way fans perceive it, you know, the, the way it gets talked about that, I don't know, maybe, Ben and I, who watch hundreds of thousands of hours of baseball, have sort of taken for granted that that you really appreciate. Yeah, there's definitely a big. I don't know if there if it goes all the way to like philosophical differences between the two sports, but it feels different watching both of them. Like I could never watch a. I've never watched a like a regular season baseball game. I just can't do it. There are too many of them. Yeah. There are four thousand games in a season, <laughs> and. All the I mentioned this in the baseball article I wrote, but like I don't understand why all of the players don't play every game. I mean, I get that there are rules that make it that way, but it just doesn't make sense to mm-hmm. me. And I don't understand how you play two games in the same day. That just seems that's how you know there are too many baseball games. It feels like <laughs> when you play twice, yeah. that's too that's too much. But yeah, there are there are definitely some big. Uh, differences but i think it it what it ends up being is like you guys are able to watch the game and see all of the stuff that i don't know is happening just like when i watch a basketball game i'm not only watching it to see a dunk i want to see what happens on like like a backside pick and roll action or you know something dorky like that is that's how you guys are watching baseball and as i'm watching it 
right now I get to sort of try to pick up on some of that stuff, which is which is fun. My favorite part of the game last night was was in the seventh inning when I don't even remember who was batting, but a guy was batting and he bunted. There was a guy on second base and he bunted and he took off for first and the pitcher ran up to get it and the guy on second took off running to third. And as a pitcher was reaching down to grab the ball, you can hear, I, I think the ump had a, um, a mic on him or something because you could hear him the whole game yep. when mm-hmm. he was explaining where, where the ball went. But as the pitch was running, you heard the catcher shouting three, 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 and had no idea what was happening. But then the pitcher reached down, picked up the ball, spun around, and threw it at third base to tag the guy out. I thought that was extremely interesting. If that mic is not there and I don't hear the catcher shouting three, 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 I don't know why the pitcher would choose to throw it over there. But I got a little glimpse of like the inside stuff of baseball that you guys probably knew was happening all the time. That was like the most compelling part for me. So yeah. I, there's, I, it's easy to say there's big differences or, or whatever, but maybe you know who knows? Maybe there's actually not any difference at yeah, all. Yeah, it's it's uh, there is a, a lot of like you know looking for the minutia. I do think it's interesting that that you're into the bunts and you're not in on home runs. And here we've Ben and I have had it backwards for for all these years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just I just like the back, like the like the behind the scenes thing yeah. that happens yeah. if if the if i don't hear the three through three then the bunt whatever it doesn't exist to me it's boring yeah. but because i got to hear that part it was really yeah cool. i mean you're clearly picking up on a lot of the things that the little things that we do like like you mentioned in your piece that you like catcher framing or, or catcher receiving as it's called it's like when the catcher moves his glove after he catches the pitch to make it look yeah, more like a strike like that's, that a that's your favorite thing <laughs> that's my favorite thing too and uh if we get robot umpires someday then that won't happen anymore and i'll be sad but there are also things you like i think that jaded baseball fans hate like when the catcher comes out for a mound meeting in the middle of the inning and all of us are uh-huh. like all right let's move it along let's get the game going here <laughs> and you're like i like this because you've only been watching for three games so none of this stuff is is old to you yet it's a it's a very innocent and idealistic version of baseball i like it yeah that part is that part is neat to me because I like when there's stuff in sports that don't happen in other sports and that that's not a thing that happens during a game in basketball or, you know, they don't just stop. Oh, everybody, hold on <laughs> right. a second. And then a guy walks out yeah. there. Which is and, why I, yeah, why I don't know why that needs to be a part of baseball. It doesn't need to be. I've been, I've been arguing to take it out, but I'm glad yeah. that they didn't take it out before, you know, yes, you got hooked on shake it. could appreciate it. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I, I think the, the thing that you wrote in your your piece about uh, getting into baseball that most resonated with me is how baseball is it's either the most boring thing of all time or the most stressful thing of all time. And that's like just that is what playoff baseball is to to me that either like it's the, the three hours of boredom punctuated by seven seconds of sheer terror just the entire month of October. Yeah, it's it's neat. I think another part that that's sort of coming into focus for me is. So I, when I was watching the game last night, and who was the guy who got the game winning hit, like Wegman or something Bregman, like that? Yeah. What's his Bregman, name? Bregman. Yeah. Bregman. Yeah. Bregman. Okay. So he got the game winning hit, and it was like a very exciting, cool thing. And I was watching, it and I was like cheering, and I was very excited. And afterward, uh, they were interviewing him, and he talked about the pitch and whatever. He's using a bunch of words I didn't know, but he said earlier, he said, "Oh, I got a, a hit off of a slider, or whatever slider mm-hmm. is." I got I got a hit off of a slider earlier, so I knew he wasn't going to throw that pitch, which means he was going to throw this other yeah. pitch. 
And when he said that, it was cool to realize like all of the stuff that happens in the ninth inning or, or beyond that's really exciting was sort of set in place by all of the boring things that happen in innings one through eight, which makes it even, you know, even a little more compelling for me. It's cool to see all the pieces sort of snapping together. I never would have thought he knew he was getting one pitch because he had already knocked another pitch or whatever. It's just cool, man. Let me ask you something else. Cause I was out in the, in the office in LA last week for games one and two. And there was a lot of like, after I got back from game one, I go to the office the next day and I get a, a lot of people saying, Oh you know, That was a really fun game last night. When's game two. And like the thing about baseball as opposed to basketball or hockey in the playoffs is they play every, you know, every night it's two on one off and then three on and then one off instead of taking a day or two off in between games. What do you think about, you know, coming back to like going through the stressful playoff experience, then coming right back to it the next day. I like that a lot. That's my, that's the worst part of, of basketball for me during the playoffs is in the first round, there's game, there are games every day because there's so many teams playing. And then in the second round, once you get to like the games four, five, six, we start losing teams and we start losing days where there are just no basketball games at all. So I think it's cool that they just keep running it back. It to me feels like, when you're playing pickup basketball and your your team loses a game and you're mad and you're just like, do it again. Let's go again right now. Like, that's cool. I like that they just jump right back into it. One travel day, whatever, that's fine. Yeah. But I'm all, I'm all for it. Give me as much baseball as I can get, boys. <laughs> Subjected directly into Shea's veins. He has a lot of missed baseball games to make up for. So... You mentioned that this is the the first time in in decades it could be potentially that a Houston team wins a championship. And obviously you've Mm -hmm. been a Spurs fan. You've seen the Spurs win a bunch. But is there anything to the idea that, you know, Houston's had a a hard year. This takes on an extra resonance. I mean, it, it sounds sort of trite because we always say this whenever any city or area suffers some sort of tragedy and their sports team does well, you kind of connect dots and say this has special meaning for the people of that area. And, you know, it it sounds kind of, obviously, if someone lost their house or something, a team winning a World Series is probably not going to make that much of a difference to them. But do you think there's something to that? Do you sense that in in the area? I I don't think that there's I don't think there was a situation where all of the Astros gathered in the locker room after the hurricane and were like we're gonna win the World Series for the hurricane or whatever I don't think that that happened at all every they're they're all trying to win all the time but I do very much think it's a thing where if somebody had their house wrecked by the hurricane or suffered some sort of like I lost my car or whatever that happened but they and they love the astros and then the the astros win the championship like yeah i think that would of course be a very cool thing for that person to experience i'm sure they would appreciate that a lot like you know this shitty shitty thing happened but at least i got this one cool thing what's an interesting conversation to me is if you can ask like a lifelong astros fan would you exchange your house getting wrecked by a hurricane for a world series victory (laughs) I wonder if they would make that trade. I might make that trade if I'd never seen yeah. it before because I'm already super interested and like nervous that I'm terrified it might not happen. And what if it doesn't happen this year? Do I never mm-hmm. ever get to see it in my life mm-hmm. or whatever? And uh, again, I've only been watching for a few days. I can't imagine what it feels like for somebody who's been watching since like 
Nolan Ryan was a pitcher right. or whatever. Like that would, that's gotta be a crazy situation. Yeah. yeah. So what is your level of anticipation going back to LA for game six? Now the Astros starter in this game is someone you may never have heard of because you started watching baseball <laughs> just a few games ago. His name is Justin Ruander. Like, yeah. Really he was good. pitching like, he was pitching like two innings before oh, you got I, into baseball. So you, <laughs> you just missed him. I'm glad you're getting a chance to see him again though. Yeah. No, I, I, that's, he's one of the, guys i know justin verlander i was watching him pit i was watching him in one of the games and he was just mowing people down and i was like this guy's cool i like (laughs) this guy um yeah it's i'm excited for him who is the the only guy that i know that that i'm supposed to not like is some guy named giles Uh, oh Uh, Oh, no 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 ken giles Giles, i mean ken giles guriel's a a whole other conversation yes right oh yeah yeah i don't like that guy (laughs) either yeah, Giles. Uh, yeah, yeah, Ken Giles. I know is is everybody here hates him. Apparently, he's really bad, which I don't. Yeah, okay. he's actually good, um, but he's been bad in in this whole postseason, and so you probably don't even have to worry about him yeah. pitching at an important is, moment at this point. <laughs> this he's, is like he's benched. It's one of those great playoff baseball traditions where a great relief pitcher just completely implodes and just chokes, and the entire city turns against him. Like it's like. Saying that out loud, it's really coming into focus how much of the base, like, this is the whole baseball experience. You're getting everything in the, the past week or so. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know what? I remember I remember something similar happening like that uh, the last time when the Astros had that World Series run. And uh, there was a guy, who was, he was, was a pitcher. Brad Lidge. Uh, Brad Lidge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brad Lidge, yeah. And he just got, this is one of the few baseball highlights I've seen is Albert Pujols hit the ball four miles off of him in a a game. And then his whole life fell apart. And I remember, I guess, people started talking bad about him after that, which I thought was crazy because before then everyone was saying they loved him so much. But, you know, baseball baseball is a cold sport, turns out. Like, they're turning back on you He came came back and actually got traded to the Phillies and got the last out in, in their World Series victory, which was an incredible baseball moment for me. And then the same thing happened to him again the next year. He fell apart again, and and uh, I think they were he he built up some goodwill, so he didn't exactly get run out of town, but he had the same kind of playoff meltdown twice in two different cities in yeah. the same career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that. Uh, oh, but but he got yeah he, he got, got a ring. Good so. for and good for good for Lidge. Good for my Lidge. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? I, I meant to mention this. I thought it was funny. It was I was when I'm watching the game, I'm trying to figure all these pieces out, and I keep thinking like. I found a loophole in baseball. Or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like I know when, exactly what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Like if they, they've got, I, there was a situation where it happened where they had like a runner on first and second and, and one out or nobody out or something. And they hit a pop fly. Yeah. And I was like, oh, just let it hit the ground and then get a triple play or whatever. And turns out there's fucking rules yeah. against everything. They've thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you picked a good time to get into the sport. I think this Astros team is a lot of fun. Even if you don't have a rooting interest, you've got Altuve, you've got Correa, you've got Springer. You've just got all these watchable guys. And I think the sport's going to be good for you. The, the players are smaller than the ones you're used to for the most part, but they're still <laughs> petty at times. And there's still retaliation and revenge and some smack talk now and then. So I think there's enough to, to keep you interested here and uh, everyone should follow Shay on Twitter of course they already are but just in case they are not at Shay Serrano you will want to watch him 
watch the game along with him as he tweets during game six. And <laughs> basketball and other things is out right now. Baseball and other things, I assume, coming 2019, 2020. 2019, yeah. fall of 2019. Right, cool. <laughs> Shay, welcome to the club. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. All right, boys. All right, so as mentioned earlier in this episode, we will be back later this week to talk some more about Game 6, Game 7, if necessary, talk about the series as a whole. So you have been listening to The Ringer MLB Show, part of The Ringer Podcast Network. 